Hey, it is Tuesday night, and we are back together again. Uh, the news is a bit slow, but we've got some cool things to talk about. You know that I always find something. And I'm also going to be discussing what is God up to when you are down and out. So check it out. What is God up to when you're down and out? It's your favorite night of the week. This is The Deep End with Tim Hatch. <laughs> Yes. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back. All the audiences of the Deep End and most importantly, the YouTube audience of the Deep End. Uh, also, hello to FM 99.5 in Rhode Island. Hello to Spotify, Twitch and Facebook. Let me know in the comments where you are watching. Also, if you could do me this favor, let me know if you watch live or later. So are you a live Deep Ender? Or are you a later Deep Ender? No judgment for either, but it would be cool to find out from you guys where you watch from. Okay, well, I just want to make sure that you do something for me, and, and we do this all the time. Please subscribe at youtube.com slash deepntv. Uh, please subscribe at youtube.com slash thedeepntv. I know some of you watch from all other sources like Facebook and uh, the Waters Church YouTube Please go over to youtube.com slash the deep end TV and then do me this solid as I say every single week. Make sure, oh, there you go. Hit the like button. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. And also make sure that you hit that notification bell. And that, that makes sure that you always get notifications on your smartphone when we are live. Anyway, it is so good to be with you again. Uh, my name is Tim. We do this weekly show where we talk about the news, we talk about life, we talk about politics we talk about the scriptures now um i uh i love talking about what happens in the news and so we're about to head into the news section and i'm going to get a little bit political again you know now now please bear with me those of you who say i don't like political please stop doing that don't, all you got to do is just skip ahead if especially if you're a deep deep end later person <laughs> just skip ahead about 10 minutes you'll get into life of david but a lot of you love the news and i think it's a healthy thing for people to hear the news from a pastoral perspective and from a biblical perspective, just so we're aware of what's going on in our world, because the world is crazy, and we need to understand it. We need to do better with our understanding of the world. So with that in mind, we're going to get into the Deep End News. Deep End News, the news you choose if you could choose news. Okay, so check this out. We got this new uh, section of news, and <laughs> I, I was going to go right back to a bumper. So um, I, I'm going to introduce a couple of well, I'm going to reintroduce a uh, old segment called Politic, but before that, a new segment called Ridiculous News, because <laughs> there is some ridiculous news out there, and it's pretty funny. Check this out. All right, what's up with the ridiculous news here on the deep end? Um, what would you do, guys, if... Uh, your wife just started stabbing you uh, because she falsely accused you of being with a younger woman when the younger woman that she's accusing you of being with is herself. <laughs> That's what happened in Mexico. I kid you not. This is out of the uh, Yucatan Journal. The title of the article is Confused Jealous Wife Stabs Husband After Seeing Her Younger Self in Old Photos. So this guy goes out and digitizes old photos of him and his wife 
to, I guess as a romantic gesture or whatever, puts those pictures on his phone, and then she sees him with pictures of her younger self on the phone, and she stabbed him. Now, he survived, and they're not releasing the names of the, uh, of the suspect. They're not releasing the name of the suspect or the victim, and it's probably best that they don't. He survived. The police showed up. Uh, neighbors heard screaming and sounds of a scuffle, and uh, the woman is being detained by authorities pending charges. I'm sure he's going to drop the charges, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> what would you do, men, uh, if that happened to you? Let me know in the comments. What would you do, men, if your wife stabbed you for being with a younger woman that was actually old pictures of her? What are we to make of news like this? Pretty simple, really. Um, <laughs> women age faster than men. Oh, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> How did she recognize him but not herself? It's so crazy. I think that we have to, um, you know, look at some of these stories and just think people are nuts. People are crazy. That's why you need That's why you need people like me talking about the news. Okay, now, in other ridiculous news, COVID, COVID strikes again, and I'm really ticked about this. COVID is now attacking our ice cream. COVID is attacking our ice cream. This is news out of uh, China. This is from HuffingtonPost.com. Three ice cream samples, chocolate, strawberry, and taro, which I don't even know what that is. If you could let me know what taro is in the comments below, let me know. Chocolate, strawberry, and taro ice cream tested positive for traces of coronavirus after they were submitted for a food inspection in northeastern China's uh, Tianjin municipality. This is the last straw, COVID. I've had it. Stop your madness. It's bad enough that you ruined our summer, you ruined our spring, you ruined our fall. You know, now you're going to get into the ice cream ruining business. Leave us with something. Anyway, <laughs> that's, um, that's ridiculous news. Now, a little bit more of ridiculous news, actually. What, 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 one more thing. Can we, do we have time for one more thing of ridiculous news? <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. I like that. Okay. Uh, here's the deal. Life imitates art. Am I correct? You, you ever heard this expression? Life imitates art. Um, life is imitating art right now. And it has something to do with our politics as a country. Uh, I want to say this. America is now Pan Am. Not Pan Am, the airline. Pan Am. The fictional uh, nation of the movie, The Hunger Games. In fact, I have their flag. That's the Pan Am flag. And I also have the movie uh, logo up here on the screen. Love this Love this movie, by the way. This is a great movie. Uh, it's very entertaining. And it's um, highly recommended. I, I think it's a great story. But what is the story about? It's about the fact that there is this nation that is dominated by a region called the capital. The rest of the nation is divided into 12 districts. And the districts every year have two people selected, I guess by random or by lottery, that they have to go and they have to fight in the Hunger Games. And it's to the death. So two people from each district, 24 people, a man and a woman from each district. They got to fight to the final straw, till to, 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 to death. And then the person who wins gets to become part of the capital. America's becoming a lot like Pan Am. Uh, here's why. The capital. I think we all know where that is. It's actually in two places. Actually, it's in two places. It's in San Francisco and it's in Washington, D.C. The capital is getting us to fight each other. The capital is getting us to fight each other to the death for the chance of being accepted into the capital. I mean, that's what's happening. 
Uh, now, why do I say Washington, D.C. and uh, San, uh, San Francisco? Because San Francisco is where all the big tech companies are, and they have partnered where, with all these politicians. And I'm not talking about Democrats only. Republicans, too. They all get us to fight each other endlessly, blame each other, attack each other, hate each other. This is our country right now. And we're participating in the Hunger Games. It's kind of strange. It's kind of nonsensical. We need to remember that we're neighbors. No matter what your political point of view, you could be the direct opposite of me. I, I, I hope you can still watch the deep end, and I hope we can still be neighbors, be kind. Like, let's not fall into the trap. You, you know, um, it's it's becoming clear because Joe Biden was inaugurated last Wednesday, and I haven't done a deep end since he's been inaugurated. Obviously, this is on Tuesday nights. But Lady Gaga showed up at the inauguration to sing. Nothing against her personally, but but here's what happened. This was all over the news. She shows up, and it says that she looked like someone from the Hunger Games capital. <laughs> She, she, she shows up in this dress, and here's a headline from Hello.com. Lady Gaga serves up Hunger Games glam at Joe Biden's inauguration. Uh, so she looks a lot like Effie. Effie. Effie, sorry. Effie from the Hunger Games. Um, I'm not sure of the actress' name. Anyway, so this went all over the internet, made a huge splash, and everybody's like, yay! And I have been thinking about this in the back of my mind for quite some time, that America is becoming Pan Am. There's the cultural elites. I call them the coastal elites. They're on the coast. They're, so they're in Washington, D.C., New York City, and they're also in San Francisco, L.A. And they are pitting us against each other to get us to hate each other and, and fight each other. And we got to stop playing into this. we got to stop playing their game. we got to stop listening uh, to um, people who don't really know what it's like to be a real taxpaying American. Remember Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes last January? It's like well, it's a one-year-old speech. Now, I, I challenge you to go look up Ricky Gervais, Golden Globe speech 2020. Uh, last January, he did this scathing rebuke of the cultural elites in Hollywood. It was fantastic. I remember him telling them they know nothing of being a regular American. They've spent, this is his words, quote, less time in school than Greta Thunberg, end quote. It was hilarious from top to bottom. He was right. You've got to stop listening to cultural elites and you got to stop playing into their cultural games, the hunger games of America where we hate each other and demonize each other. The sad truth is America is now Pan Am. Pan Am. Sorry, I said Pan Am. And I just, <laughs> I just called, called America an airline company. No, it's Pan Am. And it's getting ridiculous. We have to we have to be neighborly, yeah? Anyway, I am going to get political, though. And this is important because it's not, it's not necessarily against any particular party. It's against what's going on in our cultural elite culture, our coastal elite culture, this Pan Am culture. So I'm bringing back an old, an old standard of the deep end. It's a segment I like to call politics. So, thank you to Josh Pereira. Shout out Josh Pereira for these great bumpers that he makes me all the time. He's so fantastic, very gifted. Anyway, um, this happened recently. Actually, it happened yesterday. Francis Chan has been kicked out of Hong Kong by the 
uh, government authorities. And it is probably due to Chinese communist pressure. Who is Francis Chan? He's a former megachurch pastor out of Simi Valley in California. I've, I've followed this guy for years. I love his preaching. You can go online and look at his sermons. He is fantastic. He is one of the few megachurch pastors that's man, a true man of God, truly in love with Jesus, wrote a great best-selling book called Crazy Love. I highly recommend it. Oh, by the way, I wrote a book, and it's coming out very soon. Make sure that you pick it up. <laughs> little uh, shameless self-promotion here. Move. It's coming out March 2021. But anyway, back to Francis Chan. He has to leave uh, Hong Kong because of the uh, Chinese cultural pressure on him. The Chinese Communist government is pressuring him. They revoked his visas. And so he has to leave, and his son-in-laws have to leave. And he had, he had planted three churches in the country, and now he's leaving these churches to fend for themselves with no pastoral oversight. It's very it's a very sad situation. And, you know, it's um, on the positive side, he talks about the fact that, you know, he tells them that, that Paul would go into cities in, in, in the book of Acts and he would be three weeks in a city and have to leave. And he left the church in the hands of the most mature Christians there after three weeks. You can't be a very mature Christian. But when the Holy Spirit enables someone in those crisis situations, those people can step up in the power of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, Francis Chan talks about that. He left these churches with these young, inexperienced pastors with encouragement that the Holy Spirit will do amazing things, you know, even in spite of the difficulties and challenges that the uh, government is forcing them to face. But this is what's going on in our country. Here's what's going on. is Pan Am, let me just talk about the Pan Am effect because some of you need to see this. A while back on the deep end, I criticized the National Basketball Association. Yes, the NBA. Why? Because of its, its ties to China. And some of you may not be aware of this, but the, the, the emerging economy of the world is China. And to get in on that economy is a great boon financially for any industry. And that's why, um, that's a lot of reasons why uh, China hated Donald Trump so much, because he put tariffs on their products and he didn't want them to have free trade and undercut American prices and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, the NBA, though, has been longing to get into the China market because it's a huge booming economy and there's potentially billions of dollars to be made there. But what happened was a couple of years ago, one of their executives from one of their teams, the Houston Rockets, I think the guy's name was Daryl Morey, he tweeted in support of the, the pro-democracy Hong Kong protesters, if you remember. And this guy got excoriated not just by um, uh, China, but by Americans. And then the NBA fell over themselves apologizing to China. Why? Because China decided to stop playing their games on TV and stop selling their merchandise. And so the NBA, in the name of making money uh, in the Chinese economy, uh, abdicated American values, American democracy for, for, for the sake of money. This is America's God, by the way. Money is America's God. Always has been. You know that phrase on the, on the paper bill in God we trust? We should put a little little insert sign saying, in this God we trust. Anyway, um, so this guy, Daryl Morey, gets crucified, and no one stands up for him, culturally crucified, and no one stands up for him as he tweets support for pro-democracy, pro-American, really, protesters in Hong Kong. By, by the way, most of these people were Christians. They were singing hymns. They were worshiping Jesus. The NBA stands to lose uh, $4 million or something like that, no, I'm sorry, $400 million 
in sales in China. So they fall all over themselves to apologize to the Chinese government. And the Chinese government says, okay, we forgive you or we absolve you. And so they get back into business with China. And then a story comes out in the summer where the NBA is running these camps in China. And some of their some of the um, the workers for the NBA actually reported that the the the, the these were basically uh, detention centers for students. They were punished uh, physically if they didn't play well. Uh, one of the NBA executives details the abuse of the students. He says, "quote We were basically working for the Chinese government," and then he details how awful they treated these students in China in these camps run by and partnered with the NBA. And I, it's just ridiculous because it's really all about money. It's, they, they say it's about culture. See, so Adam Silver comes out. He's the commissioner of the NBA. And he says, no, this is good. The American government, or the, I'm sorry, the American culture needs to have an influence on the Chinese culture. And maybe we can have a positive influence by being there. And so they refuse to step out of China in, in spite of all of this negative press, in spite of the fact that the Chinese government restricts freedom, left, right, and center, and is hostile hostilely taken over hong kong again and uh adam silver reports this this was a quote out of that article um he said i would think i would only say that i think at the end of the day those decisions for our government those decisions are for our government in terms of where american business should businesses should operate so basically he's saying look i don't want to get out of there because the government is letting us and as long as the government keeps letting us be a part of uh the chinese economy then so be it and so you know there's a lot of reason why these these coastal elites love the globalism, love globalistic ideas and getting our American ways into other countries because there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of money. Never forget that. Be aware of it. And you got to realize this. At the end of the day, it's about money. I know we Christians, we like to think it's about uh, pro-life and traditional marriage and all that stuff, but the battle really in politics is about money. It really is. And it's not good. It's destroying us. It is the cultural elite God. That's not our God. It's the cultural elite God. If Jesus said you cannot trust in God and trust in money. But this is the picture. I just put this together. This is the picture. The capital, the NBA, they're working together in the, in the, in the games you know, to, in the, to get us to fight each other while they make money and they become more powerful and more rich. And the whole country in Panama is run by what? An old white dude, right? Sound familiar? <laughs> and so you have, you have a Christian ministry that has to leave Hong Kong because of the communist pressure from China on the government of Hong Kong, which was the only free democracy in China. And by the way, the most prop prosperous area of China for decades. You got to know this stuff. You got to be aware of this stuff so that you're not ignorant. For me, it's impossible for me to watch the NBA. I'm so sick to my stomach. And I think we need to cut off from people our Attention and our funds when they do this kind of stuff, when they support sadistic, uh, big government, communist regimes that restrict freedoms. I mean, this is not an American thing. This is not just a politic thing. This is a human dignity thing. And I just, I share that with you on the deep end because I think it's just important that we understand the times in which we live. And let's, let us remember that the Hunger Games storyline Actually, the capital and the system all gets overturned by this very gifted young lady, Katniss Everdeen, who basically becomes the symbol of freedom for all 12 districts by winning the Hunger Games 
and then fighting for freedom for all the people. Anyway, I've gotten too deep into that. <laughs> Let me bring myself back out of that. Let me know in the comments what you think. I always love your feedback. I thank God for you guys being here tonight. And I want to remind you one more time, subscribe at youtube.com slash TV. And if you would please send your questions anonymously to 508-316-9333 or ask at thedeepend.tv. Uh, we're not doing live questions tonight. Uh, we're not going to do live questions tonight. We're going to do that maybe another time. Uh, and there's no deep end next week. Remember that. Okay. And also, if you would do me a favor and give to the deep end, support the deep end at thedeepend.tv slash give. TheDeepEnd.tv slash give or the cash tag, uh, cash tag TheDeepEndTV or PayPal.me slash TheDeepEndTV. So with all that in mind, let's get into the Bible. Study. Okay, so politics now over, news now over. Let's get into what most of you come here for, the Word of God and the life of David. Go. Okay, so the title of this episode is The Lord of the Rock Bottom. The Lord of the Rock Bottom. And we are in 1 Samuel chapter 30, which I call David's Rock Bottom Moment. I mean, this guy, you're not going to believe what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Can I do a real quick recap? He just got kicked out of the Philistine army because they don't want him to fight with them against the Israelite army, and for good reason, because they know that he's probably going to turn on them in the middle of the battle, and he's going to try to win Saul's favor. Who knows? But this guy's been running and hiding from Saul for eight years. He's been almost killed. He's been had he's had spears chucked at him, and now he's going to hit complete rock bottom. And I, I don't. I just want to say, uh, just hold off on the details for a moment, because I want to give you a truth uh, on this episode. It's it's an important uh, biblical truth that we're going to learn from this passage. Uh, here's the truth. There is no place in your life, hear me very carefully, there is no place in your life where God cannot meet you, lead you, and succeed you. Some of you have hit rock bottom, some of you will hit rock bottom, some of you don't hit rock bottom, but you get close, you can see it from where you land. <laughs> and this moment in David's life is rock bottom. Okay, quick recap. After Goliath, because I know we love the story of David and Goliath, but after Goliath, and this is what we've learned so far in these first two chapters, quote-unquote, of David's life is, after Goliath, things spiral downward uh, very continuously for David and his family. Okay, he loses his standing in the nation. He loses his probably high-paying job in the palace of the king because Saul is jealous of him. He loses his first wife. He loses his peace and security. He has to run for his life for over a decade. And then he has to avoid several assassinations. He has to fight all these battles. He has to escape to the Philistines, not on one, but on two occasions. And now he loses everything. And I mean everything. Let's head into the text, and we're going to talk about, we're going to see what I mean. Okay? Take a look. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. And it says this, they killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Okay, <laughs> this, is, this is called rock bottom right here. This is called rock bottom. David has just lost Everything. 
He is on the way home from the Philistine army because they kick him out. They don't want him. So Saul doesn't want him. Israel doesn't want him. His The enemies of Israel don't want him. He's, with, he's got 600 men, which in the grand scope of things is not that big of an army. Saul has 3,000 uh, choice armed soldiers. David is 600. And now, salt on the wound, the Amalekites, who, by the way, if you remember, are the reason why God chose David to succeed or replace Saul because Saul refused to wipe out the Amalekites. You know what? You, you remember that story? That You got to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 13, that Saul actually spares the best of the Amalekites and doesn't wipe them out and actually spares the king, Agag. And so now this enemy that Saul did not wipe out attacks David, not Saul, David and his men and his family and take captive his wives and his children and all of his men's wives and children and all their stuff. David has hit rock bottom. This, this is it. Let's read on. Verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. That's serious crying, by the way. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. Yes, of course he was. For the people spoke of stoning him. Just check that out. These are his people. These are the guys that came to David because they were distressed from Saul's reign. Now they're distressed under David's reign. So they're thinking, maybe the answer to all this stuff living under these kings is to kill the king. It says they were all bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself and the Lord his God. Boom, don't miss that. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. By the way, who taught David to strengthen himself in the Lord's God? Jonathan. Jonathan. Remember I think it was back in uh, chapter 18 of our study that we talked about this idea that it was another time when David was distressed and Jonathan comes down to visit him and Jonathan strengthens David's hand in the Lord his God. It's actually a very powerful, very potent moment where I think that David actually learns the value and the strategy of when life has you defeated, you don't give up on God, you strengthen yourself in God. And I want to give you a couple of points around this, because you're going to be there, you're going to be at moments in your life where you hit rock bottom, where you have nothing left, and you think, what is it worth serving God? What is it, what's the good of doing what is right? Okay, if you haven't been there, just wait for it, it'll happen to you. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let me talk about what he didn't do. At rock bottom. He didn't blame God, number one. Number two, he doesn't question God. He doesn't say, God, I can't believe you. Why don't you do? Why did you do? He doesn't blame God. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Remember Adam says, the woman you gave me? I.e., I blame you, God, for giving me the woman. The woman says, the serpent you made? I.e., I blame you, God, for making the serpent. Right? We, we, this is the human tendency to blame God or question God. God, why? Why did you let this happen? Uh, third, he doesn't doubt God. Note the faith that David has to not doubt God in the midst of his rock-bottom experience. Finally, he doesn't reject God. He doesn't say, uh, serving God doesn't pay, I'm out of here. These are key points that David, that David lives out for us. 
because there's going to be times where life will tempt you to blame, question, doubt, and reject God. And all too often, this is what people do on a regular basis. They blame God for what the devil does. The, the scripture's trying to help us out here. The scripture's trying to help us out. The Amalekites, and I want to reiterate, are around because Saul would not follow through with God's command to wipe them out. So they are around because of Saul's disobedience, not because of God. And it is so often the case, if David had this limited perspective, he would have possibly fallen into this trap of blaming God and questioning God for what someone else's disobedience did. Do you understand? And I want to ask this question for you. What are you blaming God for that is really actually the results of someone else's stupid, sinful disobedience? Like, some people grow up and their dad leaves and they blame God, but your dad left, not God. Some people blame God for the, the, the financial collapse, but there's, <laughs> there are humans on the other side of that financial collapse that caused that to happen. So sometimes I think we have to look at the bigger picture, too, with cancer and disease. And, and this goes to, I'm going to sound a little bit like a left-winger here for a moment, but the way that we treat the world and the environment, we actually bring these diseases upon ourselves. And then we turn around and we blame God. You, you, you have to see from God's perspective. You, you have to have a bigger picture. Because here's the problem with blaming God. When you... Blame God, reject God, question God, doubt God. You don't go to God. And by the way, he's the one with the strength that you need when you hit rock bottom. This is why, this is why David doesn't give up on God. So, so this actually, this moment is probably where theologians believe where David wrote uh, Psalm 25. And in Psalm 25, it says, this is David, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. So when it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord is God, this is what he wrote. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. This is faith. This is faith exhibited in David's life. Lord, I trust in you. Mankind has done these evil things in the world. The reason why there's so much hurt in the world is because there are people in the world. Don't blame God for what people do. Turn to God, and he will exalt you. He will strengthen you. David got strength. You know why? Because in Psalm 27, just two psalms later, he writes this in response to what we're about to see in, in 1 Samuel 30. He writes, the Lord is my strength, Psalm 27, verse 7. And my shield, in him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. By the way, notice in this passage, notice in this psalm, uh, he starts off by saying, the Lord is my strength and my shield. And then later in the next verse, the Lord is the strength of his people and his anointed. If you are in Christ, you are part of his people, and you are anointed, and he is your strength. Don't turn from God at rock bottom. Turn to him. And don't blame him for what other people do. Let's go on in the text. All right, verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest. Okay, so he strengthens himself, he strengthens himself in the Lord his God, and then he turns to Abiathar the priest. And just note that for a moment. I'm going to actually circle his name because we're going to talk about him in just a moment. 
He turns to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue after this band, the band of the Amalekites, shall I overtake them? He answered him, God said, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Okay, let's talk about Abiathar for a second, because this is important. Who is Abiathar? Do we remember this? Abiathar was the one or the sole surviving member of the priestly family from Nob whom Saul had slaughtered. Saul goes into Nob, they harbor David, he hates that, and he slaughters the entire town of priests. Saul was wicked and evil. Make no bones about it. And the one guy that escapes is named Abiathar. He runs to David. He's the first one from Saul's regime to join David's regime. And you got to think about this. Abiathar's been where David is. You know, when you hit rock bottom, look, open your eyes because I think God's going to give you somebody that's been there before for you. Abiathar knows what it's like to lose his entire family. He had it happen to him at the hand of Saul, and it wasn't pretty, and he knows how to get through it, and he knows how to pray, and he knows, he knows what to say to God in the midst of, of, this, of this dark situation. And so here's Abiathar waiting right there in David's uh, company to be the voice of help, to be the, the priestly help that David needs in the midst of his tragedy. And so back to the text, it says that, he says, bring me the ephod. Now the ephod was this garment that the priest wore, and it had two pouches, and in the pouches were the Urim and the Thurim, Thuman, sorry, that were the dice, we've talked about this, where you, wherein you determine the will of the Lord. So David seeks God. When you hit rock bottom, don't blame God, seek God. Don't run from God, turn to God. Ask him what you should do. And that's exactly what David does here. He says, should I pursue? Should I? Now, now, why would David ask that question? Because he wants to do what God wants, not what he feels. He wants to do what God wants. He doesn't want to react to life. He wants to act in life. He wants to act godly, even in the midst of this incredible hardship that he experiences. And I love God's response. Pursue, for you will win. And I love that response, especially because Christians are often guilty of thinking that God doesn't want them to win. He does. He wants you to win in life. He wants you to succeed. He wants it to go well with you. Sometimes I think we don't turn to God because we don't think he wants it to go well with us. He does. Why not? He is a good and loving heavenly father who cares for his children. And so David says, shall I pursue? And God says, absolutely. Go for it, David. And you're going to win. All right, we got to go on. The next slide, it says this, verse 9. David set out the 600 men with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. Okay, so we're, we're going to get to another principle here um, about the church and about and about Jesus and about David. That's going to be really helpful. But we got to look at this in context. So David sets out with his 600 men. And they come to the Brook Besor, which is about 16 miles away from Ziklag. And they're exhausted. They're exhausted because they came all the way from Gath first. And then they weep until they have no more strength to weep over their children and their wives, which are taken captive. And then they travel another 16 miles in the wilderness to a brook. And the brook is probably pretty wide. And they have to cross it to get to the Amalekites. And 
they're 200 of the guys are just done. They're just, we can't go any further. And so David continues with 400 out of his 600 with 200 remaining behind. Please remember that as we continue in the story. Verse 11, they found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of cake with figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Okay. David does something here that is incredibly important. It's actually it's a life principle for Christians. Be nice to people. <laughs> it's so, so simple, right? Be nice to people. They find this guy. He's starving. He's dying of thirst. He's been left for dead. They don't know his story. He's an Egyptian. Probably they could tell by the color of his skin. Who knows? Um, and David follows Torah. Torah is the law. Exodus 22, verse 21 says, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. You were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Exodus 29, 23, verse 9. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of the sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19, 34. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, verse 7. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor or hate an Egyptian, because you were a sojourner in his land. See, Israel was saved out of slavery in Egypt, and they were not to let that spirit of Egypt stay in them. They were to love their enemies and even those who persecuted them and welcome strangers in among them. And Christians, so are we. Christians, so are we. If there's one criticism of right-wing politics, I have to say, we've got to be far more respectful of people who are different than us, who don't believe like us, being willing to welcome them into our neighborhoods and communities, being willing to say, that we are here for you. you are, we're going to treat you with dignity and respect because you are a human being made in the image of God. This is the Christian way to react to strangers, to immigrants, to illegal immigrants. Okay, You could argue the policies, but you must love your neighbor. And so David does something here that is incredibly essential for God's people. Love the stranger. Love the, love the person that you don't recognize. Because guess what? There might be a tremendous blessing to you through them that you're not even aware of. David feeds him, gives him something to drink, and revives him. Okay, we got to go on. And it says this. And David said to him, look at this on the screen. And David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant, a servant to an Amalekite. What? Servant to an Amalekite? The Amalekites just devastated David's life. And, and here's this guy saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an Egyptian, but I'm also a servant to an Amalekite. My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. What happened just three days ago? He, he had been part of the raiding band that destroyed David's life. He says, verse 14, he even says it because he doesn't know who he's talking to. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah. Judah's David's hometown. And against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. Yeah, I'm the guy who just ruined your life, David. He doesn't know, of course. He's just saying, yeah, this is what I did. David just gave this guy food. Drink. So, what would you do in this situation? Would anyone blame David if he said, kill this guy? He's why we're here. He's why our, parent, our, 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 our families are missing. No one would blame David, but David doesn't do that. He treats him with kindness. And then he says this. Okay, okay, listen. Will you take me down to this band? Verse 15. Will you take me down to this band? And he says, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I'll take you down to this band. 
Okay. This is why you have to be nice to strangers. Right? Right here. Because you never know what that person is going to do that is of benefit for God's plan in your life. If David had just killed this guy, or if he had just done the simple thing, ignore the guy. Oh, there's a guy that's left for dead. He must be worthless. Let me leave him. No, no, no. He doesn't. He's kind. The Bible says that God is kind. His kindness leads us back to him. Romans 2.14. Right? Remember the great illustration Jesus gives of the Good Samaritan. It's the priest and the Levite who walk on the other side of the street to avoid helping the man who had fallen among the thieves. It's that dirty, rejected Samaritan who comes and bandages him up and pours oil on his wounds and puts him in the hotel and pays for his stay, puts him in the hospital. Don't neglect strangers. Hebrews says, let us entertain strangers, for sometimes we've even entertained angels unaware. God wants us to love our neighbor. This goes back to the whole Pan Am discussion. Don't fall into the trap of hating your neighbor because the coastal elites are fighting or are getting you to fight for, fight each other along their ideological lines. It's the hunger game. We've got to stop playing the hunger games. We've got to start playing the love game. <laughs> the I care for you game. The let me feed the one who is hungry game, right? This is, this is the point of this text. It's so powerful. But there's so many more points that are come that are yet to come. Let's continue. Verse 16. And when, they had, and when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread, the, the Amalekites, over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So they're just sitting there getting drunk and partying and revelry, having a good old time. And they have no idea that the guy that they left behind, the guy that they left for dead, is actually leading, <laughs> leading David right into their camp. And David comes in, and David is David. He is a military beast. Goes into total beast mode here. Verse 17, strikes them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped, except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. This is an amazing moment. Verse 18, and David recovered. Listen to this. David recovered all. Look at this. Recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoiler, anything. Nothing was missing. That, 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 they had, that they had taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and the herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Isn't that an amazing text right there? Um, the, the emphasis of the text is David got it all back. David got it all back. What the devil stole, David got back. And this is what Jesus does for you and for me. What the devil steals, Jesus has come to redeem and replace, and he will. This is why you don't blame God when you hit rock bottom. This is why you don't turn and reject him, because he's given you his son. This just separates Christianity from every other, every other religion. No other religion can claim this, that, that the God that, that we serve was willing to serve us and give his life for us, and there's no God in any religion that comes close to doing that for his people. David gets back the spoil, and they say, this is David's spoil. This all belongs to David. This is an illustration, too, for us. All that we get back from Jesus is actually Jesus's. He's the one who owns it all. Let's go on in the text. Verse 21. Then David came back to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow. Remember them? They were too exhausted to follow David and go and fight the battle. 
So he comes back with his 400 men. And, and look what it says. And, and who had been left at the Brook Bazar. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Now look at verse 22. Because this, this is the human condition on, on display here. Verse two, 22. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David, i.e. the 400 who fought the Amalekites, said... Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may uh, lead away his wife and children and depart. A great victory has just been won for Israel. They got all their spoil back. And there's some wicked and worthless fellows among the winners of David's 400 men who don't want to get the, to, who don't want to give back the spoil to the men who stayed by the brook Besor because they were exhausted. You know, there's people like that in the church all the time. They have a selfish, selfish, self-centered mentality. It, uh, they always think it's their job to determine what, what people are worth, what people are worthy of. This is in David's kingdom. This is in David's kingdom as well. And notice the Bible calls them wicked and worthless. Oh, they didn't come fight, so they get nothing back except their wives and children. So what were those guys going to do? They were going to take all their spoil for themselves and just give the wives and children back to those guys? I mean, do you see the greed? You see the greed? Thank God David steps up and says something here. It's so fantastic. Verse 23. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with the, what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his, his share, as for as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays with the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. David illustrates an incredible principle here. And by the way, notice that David says, hey, remember, they stayed with the baggage. Yeah, you know how you didn't have to truck your bags with you? Made it actually a lightweight trip to go and fight the Amalekites, and then you came back and all your baggage was here waiting for you? Yeah, those guys helped you win. Those guys helped you win. This is a picture of the church, by the way. This is a picture of the kingdom. Jesus says this very famously in Matthew 10, 41. He says, he who receives a prophet... Because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. What's that talking about? Here's what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that everybody participates in the mission of Jesus, no matter what they do in the church. Even if you just house the prophet, you get his reward. So when I preach at my church and I say, who wants to come to Jesus? And we do this hand raise moment and, and dozens of people come almost every week. Dozens of people come to Christ. And we had dozens upon dozens of baptisms every year at Waters Church, almost a hundred last year. I think we we're actually over a hundred last year on pace for more than that this year. Do you realize that I didn't do all that? Do you realize that every person who gave money to our mission to the church did has a hand in that? Do you realize that everyone who helps serve, park cars, seat people in their seats, um, uh, serve their children in ministry, in kids' ministry, serve coffee in the cafe, greet them at the door. Every person has a share in my reward with me. I, it's not like I'm going to get more reward. We're all together. We're all a team. And that's what David illustrates for us here. He says, you, got, you guys got to share this. This has got to be something that we did together. Paul exemplifies this in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. 1 Corinthians 3, 8. That, that we have to remember that we are teammates, and it's not a matter of who's watering and who's uh, planting and who's re reaping and who's fertilizing. 
It's all of us. And do you know what else this means? It means that everyone is valuable in the kingdom of God and in the work of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, Paul says, The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And the head can't say to the, the, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. In other words, we need each other. Every part of God's kingdom is meaningful and valuable. Every person that helps me put this uh, show together and there are people you never see on screen that put this show together, and, and they know who they are, and some of you know who they are. They have an equal share in the ministry of this word getting into your ears right now. You know, this is so important for us to understand, because some of us think we just go to church. You don't, go, you don't just go to church. You have a part to play in the kingdom of God. And no matter how small you think it is, it's doing something far bigger than you will ever understand. When you are a kind Christian to a stranger, to a Muslim, to a homosexual, to the girl who had an abortion, to uh, the illegal immigrant, when you're the one who says, I love you and I welcome you, and the reason why is because I'm a Christian who's been loved by my father, and he says you're made in his image, and I love you because you're made in his image— that is part of the mission of Jesus to bring people back to God, to restore dignity to the human race, to lift one another up, to be neighborly, and to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that hopefully turns their eyes to Jesus. And you get rewarded for it. You get rewarded for it. We got to go on in the text because I'm almost done. Verse 26, when David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth, of Nagab, in Jatir, in Aorir, in Sifmoth, in Eshtaoma. How many of you are glad you're not reading this? <laughs> in Rakal, in the cities of the Jeremelites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Bor-Ashan, in Athach, in Hebron. For all the places where David and his men had roamed. For all the places... What? All the places where David and his men had roamed. And that means that they had eaten there. He, here's what you have to see David doing, because it's such a cool picture. He pays everybody back. He says, not only are my guys who watch the baggage going to get paid back and rewarded for their help in, in rescuing my family and the spoil. Everybody who we ever benefited from is going to now benefit from the spoil. It's a beautiful picture of the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, Mark 10, 29, truly I say to you, there is no one, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life, but many who are first will be last and last first. In other words, whatever you do for the Lord is rewarded. And he keeps accurate records. He keeps accurate records. So, in summation of this episode, the battle is the Lord's, and he wins. The battle is the Lord's, apostrophe, <laughs> And he wins. When we suffer defeat, he sees and he intervenes. He is our true David who perfectly listens to God and goes out and fights our battle. Number two, when we serve, we participate in his work to redeem and rescue. And number three, every part of his work matters and is rewarded. You're, you're, you're a Christian, 
my, my brothers and sisters, if you are if you are in Christ, you are Christian. And I am imploring you. All this this whole episode comes together around this. I, I opened with the idea America is becoming Pan Am. We we are the answer to this. It's not through the arrows and and the swords. It's not through our arguments and our politics. It's through the love that we have for others. That we can fight against this spirit of the age, this cultural elitism that wants us to see each other as enemies. That isn't even hiding it anymore. They're dressing up for heaven's sake, like the Capitol members. And they're celebrating themselves in Washington, D.C. and in San Francisco and all the big tech companies. Look, look, let's not fall into their trap. Let's be the people of God who love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And I think, I think the world will benefit and things and, and, and the kingdom and the gospel will move forward. Hey, like us, subscribe to us on all of our social media channels, except for uh, Twitter, which is DeepNTV. They're all the DeepNTV. So only Twitter is at DeepNTV, no the. The rest of them are at the DeepNTV. And if you would do me a favor, support the Deep End at thedeepend.tv slash give or the hashtag thedeependtv. I'm so thankful that you have been here with me today. Uh, I'm so thankful that we had this time together let me know in the comments any questions you got. Uh, I, I will be doing a live question and answer uh, again, just not today. And and we're not here uh, next week. Our church has a fasting and prayer campaign, uh, and we have First Tuesday, Waters Church First Tuesday. Make sure you check that out if you go to Waters Church, 7 p.m., 6 p.m. prayer. But we will be back uh, hopefully in two weeks with The Deep End. I'm so glad you were here. God bless you. See you next time on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.